Well, and we're live. Good. <laughs> I was just a right. good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Overtime. We may be frozen right now. We might not be. We could be live. Not really sure. Our camera's having some technical difficulties. Yeah. So, if you are watching this, just bear with us for just keep listening. a few moments. Keep listening. Yeah, um, we'll give you a, a nice view of just Ben in the booth yeah. for a second while we hey, clean that up. This is a different hey, camera this angle. Is, this is coming to you live from the booth. This, We're this, trying to figure out what's going on. This is our sanctuary. Yeah, there you are, and there you are, frozen. We can plug that. Just, there you go. There's just that for a second. We're not going. To we could just one. do it from that way. We need no? to. We, we will. Let's see. Let's see what happens here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we're Let's back. See. I think we're back. Ah, oh, there Maybe. we go. Hey, Maybe. you there? Hey. hey. Okay. We're we're gonna get rolling, and hopefully everything's gonna work out, or we'll just figure it out. So, welcome to another edition of Overtime. It is our weekly kind of in-depth look at the weekend message. So, <laughs> just now seeing us on the live, what you're actually seeing, because there's a slight delay. But we're so glad that you're joining us here. Uh, as always, what we try and do is to do a deeper dive into the weekend message. And what we hope is that through that, you are challenged and encouraged um, through this discussion, through what God is doing, and that hopefully you get an opportunity to participate. So is that how we're gonna do it? So we, we, we keep getting frozen, bit. but welcome. Yeah, come to the booth. Come, we're in the booth. We're gonna to talk to you this way. Thanks for that. So before we jump into it, what I will say is that uh, we have our Christmas Eve services coming up. So that is on obviously uh, December 24th, that is Christmas Eve. We have three different service options online. We'll go with that one first. We have a five o'clock, a seven o'clock, and a nine o'clock service that we're gonna be offering. In person, we are going to be doing an indoor as well as a drive-in option at five o'clock. And then at seven o'clock, we will be doing a drive-in and outdoor only service. So that is basically what our Christmas Eve services look like. We are asking you to RSVP for that. So if you go to our website, clcfamily.church slash signups, there's a sign up for the uh, actual drive-in part, or not the drive-in, the in-person part of that that we would like you to RSVP just so that we can plan accordingly, especially with the new regulations and kind of stipulations with COVID. So we're trying to be as careful as we can with that. So that is kind of the announcements that we have. Christmas Eve service would love for you to join And we're us. gonna go there now. Let's and see. we're back maybe. Such a better quality picture, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that that's all the announcements, unless you want me to stall more. Should I stall yep, more? let's go, let's see how this goes. Good job. All right, um, so week four. We'll just, and if it goes again, us. we'll just change this right now. Thanks, producer yeah. Christian. Thanks, buddy. So you want me to give you an update on what's going on uh, with the sermon? Yes, is that, where that, we would, are? that would be great. Uh, so we are in week 21 or 22 of the Gospel of Luke, okay. week four of the God With Us series. Just finished up Jesus for President a few weeks ago, but it's all just one series where we've been going through in an orderly and chronological way the Gospel of Luke, the same way that uh, Luke wrote it. So uh, where this stems from is our world is chaotic. You're not, you wouldn't argue with that. <laughs> and it is not getting less chaotic. And there are very few things we're certain about, like, you're not even certain what your Christmas plans are right now, right? And everything continues to change, and there's just very little certainty. And so Luke, so graciously, doctor-turned-investigative journalist, does this deep dive into the research of who Jesus was, went and interviewed all sorts of people, wrote down all the stuff, she got it all together. And so Luke does this massive deep dive into all that stuff and presents what he tells us, that this orderly account that gives us, he, he says he writes these things, so that we can have certainty of the things that we've been taught. So uh, four or five months ago, it makes sense that we would actually try to find some certainty of the things that we've been taught. And when Luke says that, what he's really talking about is that we can have certainty in who Jesus is. What a great season to think about that in terms of the Advent season, this preparation and, you know, thought of the Lord coming, all those kind of things. And so it makes sense that we would consider that more fully this Christmas season. And so we're trying to figure out, can we have certainty? of who Jesus is, and so we've been working through it. Um, so what we've done differently than in the past, we're not really paying attention to the pageantry of the Christmas series, uh, this Christmas story, you know, the shepherds, wise men, angels. What we're really doing is going, if the goal of the gospel and the goal of Christmas is that God would be Emmanuel, Isaiah 7 tells us seven years earlier before Jesus is born, that that's what Jesus is going to be called, Emmanuel, meaning God is going to be with us. If that's the case, then let's actually look at what it looks like for God to be with us. And so we've been walking with the story of Jesus inviting his first followers into 
ministering into life and into certainty and watching what it looks like to actually be present with God. And what's interesting is as God, uh, Jesus does some pretty unique things. He makes lame people walk. He's inviting pagans into ministry and into his presence. Uh, the religious people are pretty upset. So for three straight weeks, we've seen these Pharisees, these religious leaders who are pretty good at religion and pretty good at pretense. And we've seen, we're seeing these uh, religious leaders really be skeptical of Jesus and his inability to follow their rules. We'll see it again next week when we look at the Sabbath. And so inability to follow their rules. And so we see this legalistic approach to, to, to our interactions with God and how we can have God with us, which is still the same lie 2,000 years later. Uh, that somehow our performance determines God's uh, presence, right? Our performance determines God's presence, which is just a lie from the pits of hell. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. There's nothing on our own that we can do to usher in God's presence. All the work is done by Jesus. And so we saw this week, Jesus is interacting with a big feast in this big celebration of his presence. And it, and as they're doing it, they're eating all sorts of food and the Pharisees are pretty frustrated and said, wait, all the rest of us religious people, we fast a couple times a week. We're godly. And you say you're godly. And uh, you actually called yourself the son of man, and yet you're not fasting. So obviously, therefore, by deduction, if godly people fast and you and your disciples don't fast, therefore, you must not be godly. So they're accusing Jesus of not being godly. <laughs> so profound. After he's already read their mind and uh, perform miracles, and they're still taking the shot at him about eating when they think he shouldn't be eating. There's a real likelihood that they're eating, and or that Jesus and his followers are eating, and they're outside hungry. And you know what it's like, and you can see this in human history. When you don't have something to enjoy, no one else should have something to enjoy. And so we see this interaction where they make this accusation. So Jesus gives us a really unique unique understanding about the rules and fasting mm. and what it means and how, uh, why we should fast or why we shouldn't fast and what it means to experience God being with us. And what he does is he takes the moment of fasting and uh, turns it upside down and then tells them the reasons that you shouldn't fast, why you may fast, but not that you must fast. And uh, so he flips that upside down and offers some pretty interesting parables about why their present time in that moment them disciples it's the time to party and to feast and not the time to fast and to mourn and so he uses some pretty unique stuff uh, that, uh some seamstress tailor uh, language and then some uh winery language to help us understand how we are in a new world in a new era with jesus that began with the gospel in luke it still continues to this day yeah. and so we looked at what it looks like particularly to live in this new era, in this new way, with Jesus as Lord and Savior and be in his presence and partner with him for the sake of his gospel. Yeah, I felt like as we looked at this, this these verses here, I feel like are one that you can easily just kind of skip over, pass over, or for me, many years not even understanding. I feel like I even got a deeper understanding this past week of that. So I thought it was I thought it was really rich how the text kind of comes alive when you can understand the background, you can understand the history, which for Luke and his listeners, yeah. like, I mean, Theophilus would have known a lot of this. So you don't have to really give culture. If you're living in that culture, yeah. you kind of understand it already. But I, I just thought that it was interesting as we talked about kind of the, the wine, new wineskin and old wineskin, new clothing and old clothing, um, just how beautiful that looked. And I feel like it, at first glance, it's not like a bad question. Like they're going, well, why don't your people fast? Because as believers, we go, well, yeah, fasting's good, right? Like maybe we've yeah. studied it. Maybe we understand the importance and significance yeah. of fasting, but maybe we don't. Is there anything there? Like, so just at the, at the base question of like, why aren't your disciples fasting? You set up kind of a background and understanding, kind of a history of why people would fast. Is there anything more in that that you wanted to get to that you couldn't over the weekend? Yeah, so, you know, I wanted to go, I want to look into the tone of this question, right? Okay. Because, yeah. um, no, there's not much there. Just so you know, yeah. it's not like, oh, yeah, this implies that they're like, you know, being really rude and disrespectful. Right, now, right. There is the interesting thing when you see someone ask a question, but not first asking a question, but first making statements. Yeah. Right? So a lot of times when that happens in the world, it's more the person is now using, shaping the narrative and shaping the story. Right. And really right. looking for a platform and an audience more than looking for an answer. So right. there's probably right. some implications there. They go, 
the disciples of John fast, you know. Yeah. And then they go and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Like, they're talking about themselves in third person, which is so crazy, right? So do the disciples of the Pharisees. Don't you fast? Yeah, we fast, right? So you see them kind of announcing this. Yeah. Which, by the way, you see Jesus kind of go, when you fast, he says this later, when you fast, like, put some oil on your beard yeah. and your hair and look decent and don't be such a dramatic victim but you're not doing it because you want to please the god or be close to god right. you're doing it for your audience right. and guess what you've gotten all your rewards you're going to get because you just perform for your audience right. so you perform for them because you think somehow that's where your value comes from so jesus is going to attack this from multiple angles later but when they make the statement they're really just ask it's fair that some of them are actually curious particularly yeah. let's say the disciples of the pharisees what we see and what we know, and boy, are we victim of this, that we've done a lot of weird, creepy things in the name of religion, or at least I have, right? Like, I go back and peer into my little seventh grade self who had just, you know, was wearing the True Love Weights ring, which is great, but it was on my pinky because they have a big enough one, so this pinky <laughs> ring that basically said, I'm going to be abstinent until I'm married, and, which is really beautiful and really appreciate the, right, right. the explanation of it. I think there's some godly biblical reasons to do that right. and appropriate always the right thing to do but the reason by which i did it and the way by which i announced it in the shirts that i wore or this that's like you know follow jesus life is hard but the retirement plan is out of this <laughs> world. world like I, I just wonder about those things and go boy did i really help connect to anybody so yeah. i look back and i go poor little 11 and 12 year old josh like my son's not 12 and like man I think for the most part, I had a pretty pure heart coming into it. Well, this yeah. is what Christians do. These are the things that you do. And so there's some people in the room who probably are pretty pure in the heart. Yeah. I'm just right. going, hey, is that? I haven't eaten in a day. Are you now saying that I can eat? Because if I can eat, but I can't, but these guys right. are saying right. I can't eat. I want to, like, I want to pull a seat up to the table. Can, can I do that? Right? Like, yeah, so, right. There, so there's a, there's all sorts of there's defiance in this there's arrogance in this and then there's just ignorance in this. yeah right how about that that's pretty good defiance arrogance and ignorance all in the room and so Jesus is going to address it what we addressed kind of the Sunday is fasting was an opportunity for people to do one of two things these are my words not the Bible's words so I think they help shape it to either uh, magnify God's presence in our life right to help us focus on that or to mourn the brokenness of our world brokenness of our life right so those are the Two main reasons you can see throughout yeah. the scriptures where you fast, and you may do that, and you might want to do that, right? But the minute you turn a may into a must right. is where all of a sudden religion creeps in. So that, to me, is how I would define legalism. When you turn mays into must, or what's good for me is requirement for you, there's just some danger, because then all of a sudden we've created this legalese, this legal system, legalism, by which your behavior yeah. and your performance is what determines God's presence in your life but just alive in the pits of hell and so it's a really neat thing to think about as we think about god being with us is the very things that we may be doing that actually thinks god draws god closer to us is just the opposite it actually it actually increases our own arrogance and our own piousness and our own piety right instead of actually looking towards jesus as the, the author and perfecter of our faith not ourselves and so they're asking these questions and so jesus is going to respond in a really simple way right and so what you see jesus do is offer some examples the reason you see him offer examples throughout the scriptures he asks lots of questions and offers lots of examples or parables and the reason being is he's being really gracious to help people come to this conclusion that they need a savior and that he is their savior and that he can be available to them so he's gonna you know point out a wedding feast and go when there's a wedding party you're not magnifying the presence of the bride and groom they're there you're not waiting for the day right or and you're not morning sadness this is the time to celebrate in fact if in the day of celebration you decide to go in and mourn and fast you are being so dishonoring and disrespectful yeah. to the actual uh you know the actual people you're there to celebrate that it actually isn't just wrong it's offensive hmm. it's offensive so jesus is going look if there's a party to be had and the guest of honor is right there in front of you you don't go no i just gotta be here and be sad yeah no, you should be celebratory. And so that's the first thing he offers, which is really, really neat. That what he's pointing to is there is a time and a place to repent. There's a time and a place to really go, God, we want your presence right here next to us. God, we really do want to repent and acknowledge we, we need your presence and we want to partner with you. But there's also a time and place where you actually celebrate and worship the fact that Jesus is available and present with you. And Jesus is kind of going, all the stuff you're doing right now and have done for thousands of years 
is helping you be dis be distracted by the very thing that's actually right in front of you, which is God is present with you. And I just feel, and I said it Sunday, really, really suspicious that so much of how we build church services is in response to hoping maybe one day God will show up mm -hmm. instead of going, he has, yeah. he is here, he is here. And so the story of the Christmas is he is here. So how do we turn our eyes and attention towards that focus? And that's what Jesus is trying to help these uh, Pharisees and the disciples get. It's like he is present and available to them in that moment, which is the same story for us. He's present and available to you today, even in this bad camera. <laughs> yeah, I, as you were walking through it, so it's a question about fasting mm -hmm. that he tells these parables of, of he's doing a new work and he's mm -hmm. kind of flipping the script or their understanding. And I thought that that was, that's uh, like, I feel like it, it, at first glance, it doesn't look like it connects at all, right? Yeah. Like it just looks like, oh, well, thanks for that, Jesus. That, yeah. So okay. what about, uh, but he does answer the question. As you were talking about it, though, one of the things you spent a little bit of time on was the idea of Yom Kippur. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to revisit Yom Kippur? And we do have a question that yeah, kind of goes a question. along so with that. Yeah, that's a good question. So the reason I brought up Yom Kippur, right, so when you go, it's not a may, uh, you can't turn a may into a must, right? You may fast, but it's not that like you must fast. You may yeah. fast. It might be really beneficial for you, but you don't, it's not a requirement. It's a may, not a must, except, except uh, God, there is one mandate. There is one must in scriptures as it relates to fasting. And it's, you know, from Yom Kippur. 1500 years prior when God was helping the Israelites through Moses and his, his brother Aaron kind of respond in a, in a moment to magnify their desire for God's presence and seek the Lord by every count and turn their hearts and minds towards him. So there is a moment that they had fasted in that way and then mourned kind of their brokenness and yeah. the fact that we were wayward and turned our backs on God. At some point, all of us come to that discovery. And so that's one that great news of the gospel and kind of the biggest hurdle of the gospel is you have turned your back on God. I've turned my back on God. And that's not, that's not trying to be offensive or judgmental. It's just look at our world and the nature of our world. It is a world that's turned its back on God. And so there's a time that we mourn that and grieve that. And so once a year, there was this day, it's called the day of atonement uh, called Yom Kippur where they would, they would, turn their hearts back to God and they would ask for God's presence to be in their life and God's covering to be in their life. And then they would mourn the fact that they had spent a year putting their hope and affection into things other than God. And mm -hmm. so kind of the way that it was mandated in the scriptures is in Leviticus 16, there was this day called Yom Kippur. And what would happen is there would be this day where the people would fast. They would acknowledge that God's greater than their greatest things in their hunger pains. They would, they would recognize that there is a need to have their appetite completely satisfied. But the things that they had satisfied their appetite with over the last year were things that left them wanting and left them, you know, empty rather than fulfilled or forgiven. And so this one day they would focus on that and they would grieve all those things. And so this priest, Aaron and Leviticus 16 and then others throughout the scriptures would get like a really clean bath. They would get super, super clean, right? Going, God, we are so dirty and they would take these two goats and they would um and they would uh they would uh draw lots so similar to dice showing that even the goats weren't preferential i mean that the priests weren't even preferential it's god's deciding and they would uh, draw lots and one lot uh, would one goat would be sacrificed he literally would be slaughtered and the other one would be the scapegoat i don't know if this is the reason it was goats and not lambs but i mean like a baby lamb isn't quite old enough and i don't know if you've ever had goats we had goats in um back in georgia we had all sorts of goats we had milk goats just a crazy warlock maybe i'll tell you about it one day when i keep running all the time in the sermons <laughs> um but they were crazy and they could jump on anything maybe on the tractor they would be on your head I mean, they'd be everywhere like little pygmy goats and so there is this idea that that scapegoat would be this goat that this goat that be taken all the way out to the wilderness and just released, and they could just scurry up on the up into the mountains. So there's this kind of two pronged approach. There is there is a reason to mourn and fast and grieve, ask God to be present in our life, and grieve our sins and our need to be forgiven. Right? Mm -hmm. And we get this, all of us get it. There's always pain and sorrow and sin. And if you're if you're a child of divorce, you know that, right? 
if you're a spouse of divorce, you you know that, right? There's just pain and sorrow. If you if you if you love someone who struggles with addiction, you know that. Like there's just pain and sorrow in uh, divorce and 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 decisions and sin. And so the way that the, that the, the Israelites would respond to that is once a year they would acknowledge that there has to be some kind of atonement, some kind of payment, day of atonement for their sins. And so one goat would get slaughtered. But it wasn't just that they had to be forgiven. They had to be freed, like yeah. right. They had to be freed from the captivity of these inclinations they had, where they kept chasing after their appetite. So during the moment of fasting, where they're not clinging to their temporal pleasures of the appetite, they slaughter one goat and they slaughter it in a bull and you know burn it in a pot kind of thing. And then they take this other goat, take it out into the wilderness. They go. Not only has God forgiven you of your sins by there being a substitute for those this goat but he's also taken those sins and placed them on this other goat the scapegoat and taken as far as the east is from the west taken out to the depths of the of the wilderness and taking the sin away from you right and so what jesus is saying is yeah there is a time to fast but this isn't the time this is a time to celebrate because john the baptist said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world and so you see in this moment jesus is going i'm the goats i'm both the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat. I'm the one who's going to be slaughtered. They don't get it yet. We get, we get it as we look back in the history. I'm the one who's going to be slaughtered. I'm a, the actual payment for your sin. But I'm also the way by which your sin is removed from you, taken from you, and placed into death. Yeah, If I can interrupt, because that no. was I feel like you just answered the yeah, exact yeah. question yeah. that was sent to us. So it says, not sure how Jesus was both of the goats at Yom Kippur. Yeah. One was set free and the other was killed. And so the question is, Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, only the sacrifice goat, not the freed one. So that was the question. Just curious. Yeah, question. Very small note and a big sermon. It was a big sermon. Thanks for listening to all 70 minutes of it. Um, yeah, so he's both, I would argue. And, you know, there's some there is some arguments uh, and some scholars, I, I would say they're wrong, you know, that, um, that some of what's represented in the moment of... Uh, of the Passover feast or of that those days is that one one uh, prison person can be freed, right? So you have this moment yeah. and they're going, hey, Pilate thinks he has a plan. Hey, we're not going to murder Jesus because it'll create yeah. all sorts of stuff. How about we let him free and we murder this guy Barabbas? And they're going, see, give us Barabbas, right? Yeah. This moment where they're acknowledging that there's pardon to be had, but they pardon the wrong guy. And some people go, see, that's the two goat system. One gets slaughtered. One gets, uh, one gets, you know, the scapegoat, and it's like, no, I don't think that's what we're seeing there. And there's some of that argue, well, that's why those two things happen. It's a, a okay. picture of Yom Kippur. What I would argue, if you understand what happens with the goats, right? One gets slaughtered, literally murdered, right? Bloodshed, right. cost of sin, and it it it's dead, right? Yeah. The other one literally gets escorted, and what it says to the to, to the wilderness. Let me give you another word for that: to the pits of hell. Hmm. As far as the east is from the west. So literally one dies, the other one gets escorted as far away from humankind as possible. As far away. And I would just argue, the furthest away from human life you can get is actually death. So this isn't the normal kind of death, like a goat that dies and it's done. That goat, I don't know if it goes to heaven, I don't know those things, but it's not coming back to life, right? That that, that, that goat is done. There's a little bit different as we view our souls, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it says to be absent from the body for those of us as Christian means to be present with the Lord. So there is a moment of death and then there is a moment of transition where all of a sudden we're in this realm that is so beyond what we can imagine or hope for, right? So that's heaven and lots to think about there in terms of, well, I thought one day God's going to come and dead and Christ will rise. Is that the same day or those different days of the people that are dead? They're waiting I'm like, ah, oh, see, we got this timeline that works for us. Birth to death of the minute you leave the birth to death timeline, you enter an eternal one, right? Mm -hmm. So Jesus dies but his soul doesn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, and we don't know all this to be accurate, there are some that says he descended into hell right. for three days, right? And some of that is, you even see in the story of Jonah that he's in the belly of the well, you know, the, the great fish for multiple days, dead or alive, whatever he is. He is he's as far away from human kind as possible. So that what we can deduce is Jesus is the sacrificial goat on the cross. Jesus is the scapegoat in the tomb. Mm. 
right? So Jesus is the sacrificial coat on the cross, but there's still something that he forgave us of our sins. Yeah. He covered our sins, but he, does, he has to also take away the sins yeah. of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Not just covers us, not just accepts it on himself, but then takes it into death. Yeah. Takes all of our sin into death. And here's the crazy thing about the gospel. It's like, ah, oh, so nuanced. Then he returns, having buried the sin in the mm. pits of the grave forever. So Jesus returns, and he returns in his glory as the resurrected self. And then now shows us how we get into the life, not just for forgiveness of sins, but then into this eternal life. We no longer are attached to our sin. Sin is no longer our master. The reason being is it was placed on Christ, and he took it, and he buried it in the tomb. Mm. And he left it there. And he came back out. I, yeah, I was thinking, yeah. like, so even on the cross, like, darkness, as Jesus dies, darkness kind of comes over the yeah. land. Like, and even before he passes away, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken Literally, me? Literally, like, abandoned and it's, him. It's kind of being, uh, in my yeah. mind, it yeah. makes sense that he's being led out into the wilderness. Yeah. And then that, so I feel like that just connecting. Yeah, the need to go, yeah. oh, my goodness, this is why you should read the Bible. And I'm not yeah. some crazy guy trying to feed you with a bunch of mumbo jumbo well you might be this a little makes bit crazy. more sense than the, our elections right <laughs> like we're gonna know this is what the book says okay you know what or you know like the electoral college like all this stuff right i'm not saying that it's like this makes more sense than how we do adoption or foster yeah. care or whatever else there is in our world mm-hmm. there's all this stuff sorry i said i wasn't i said i might scream at you so it's like this you read this and you stare at the timeline of the whole gospel and you're like yeah god is writing the story of what jesus is going to do through these two goats yeah right and so anyway so yeah great question yeah and i wish i could have spent a lot of time talking about that because it is it is so profound and, and you know, by the way uh, one other thought about yom kippur there's there's kind of this tradition where uh they still do yom kippur i don't know if it's every individual synagogue i don't know if it's just like mm-hmm. in the day was it just jerusalem I, I don't know enough of the details all the time i can tell you how it happens in leviticus 16 because i can read it but yeah. it plays out through out history i I'm not an expert, but what I've read and understood is part of the Day of Atonement, like the worship service, it's not just these sacrifices, but they read the book of Jonah, of all mm-hmm. things. And as they get to the end of each chapter, the whole synagogue congregation goes, we are Jonah, meaning we have experienced God, we believe God's good, and yet we've turned our back and chosen our own plan. And mm-hmm. so they remind themselves the need of atonement by looking at the story of Jonah and looking at each other and declaring we're the ones who need atonement. We're Jonah. We're the ones who end up in the belly of the fish. We're, we're yeah. Jonah. And so it's pretty interesting to see how all that happens and the beauty of how Jesus is the the, the sacrificial yeah. goat and the scapegoat for Yom Kippur. Yeah. I feel like I have a, this is probably a random silly question yeah. about Yom Kippur. So the scapegoat that's brought out into the wilderness and left, uh, I no doubt believe that God is is in control, and so yeah. He oversaw. But what happens if a goat would come back? Like, yeah. do goats stick around, or are they like if they're not, you know, yeah. uh, you know? In one offense, time that happened, disappear. and when it happened, it was actually with Abraham and Isaac, and they were there, and the goat came back, and it yeah. was in the in the thicket. That's yeah. alive. That's all alive because it's all pre Moses. I don't have a clue. Okay. Um, I don't know if you'd be able to recognize it. I don't know if it's marked. I don't know if yeah, it's... Like, I mean, the thing is, is... Look, I'm sure that a wild animal... Yellowstone, yeah. I've been out to Yellowstone or been out to Glacier, but Yellowstone in particular, one of the big interests is into... At the eastern entrance, I can remember coming out of it and all across the mountain were these magnificent goats and rams. Like, okay. In some ways, that scapegoat is living its best life. <laughs> you know? So there is something... Yeah. Like, it's interesting to even think about that we still use that term. I mean, yeah. something innocent gets all the blame placed on it. So we even get this from the scriptures. And use it, and even that points to Jesus. So it's amazing. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's my understanding is it's a it's a long trek. I yeah. can't imagine that goat. It's like it's a dog sniffing his way yeah, home. Yeah, right, right. This isn't Bible goes west. Like you know, this is. I think the goat enjoys the wilderness forever okay. until it dies. Okay. All right. Um. So uh, let's kind of jump back into the text. So here's this question that's not really a question that Luke talks about, mm-hmm. and it's it's more of a statement. So the, verse 34, Jesus answered. Um, can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while he is with them? And then verse 35 says, but the time you, uh, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those uh, days, they will fast. So this is kind of the explanation that he gives to the question. And this is all the explanation other than the parables. Yeah. So they ask the question. He goes, hey, today's not the day, but there'll be a day. Yeah. That's it. I'm like, okay. So tomorrow is the day? Like is the next day? And so like. So I love is he's speaking into all all of human history, right? He's 
he's speaking both timely, saying, hey, these disciples, check in on them in about three years or two and a half years yeah. because they're going to be grieving. Yeah. They're going to be grieving. In fact, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? Like he understands there's going to be this grievance that happens for them like this deep, deep pain. You see it with the tomb. You see it with Jesus saying to John, take care of my mother. Like it's deep and painful. And that's one of the things that it is important that we kind of acknowledge is, well, it's a great story. It's a genuine story with lots of pain. Like Jesus actually went through this stuff. So it's timely, meaning Jesus going, hey, in a few years, the groom's not going to be here anymore. Yeah. There's that. And then he's also peering into the future. He's peering into our future and going, hey, 2020, it's going to be a hard year for a lot of people. Right? There's going to be some real pain. and There's going to be a real desire for the God of peace to be present. And there's going to be a lot of people looking for him who haven't found him yet. And there's yeah. going to be some real grieving. And some people are actually going to intentionally fast. Others are going to fast as a result of physiological pain and sorrow. So he's actually kind of saying, here I am. You should enjoy me while I'm here. And these guys are doing the right thing. You see him and talk to Mary and Martha in the same way. Hey, she's doing the right thing. Yeah. Here I am. You're over there. You should be here too, right? And so there is a moment to celebrate and do all these things. But there's also going to be pain to be had. So Jesus is going, don't be a day. Like this isn't that you shouldn't ever fast. There's times you should fast in your desire to have my presence magnified in your life. There's a time for you to be fast when you're so deeply grieved by the sins of yourself or your family or this world. There's times to do those things and they will come. It just he's going, but that day is not right now. Yeah. So I mean, I I think it's more pragmatic and clear that he's just saying, you picked the wrong day to do that. Yeah. yeah. See the feast, you could have had it on it. Yeah. You picked the wrong day to do it. Yeah. And I, I felt like that, that point that I feel like you've already talked about, but um, for us is, I think it's important to see this is what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing is that yeah. your point for us is that, you know, don't get so caught up in the rules or the transitions, specifically in a Sunday morning, like, in doing things right, the details that we miss out on Jesus. Yeah. Because essentially what Jesus is saying, right, is that he's doing something new. Yeah. And they're caught up in what was, and they didn't see what he was And saying. I think that was more a message for us than, yeah. you know, everybody else. There's yeah. a lot of times you're showing up with deep expectation. And we're praying for God to have his way. But, I mean, there are mornings that yeah. we're going, what's going on with the sound? What's going on with the cameras? Yeah, what's right. going on? And we're so, like, grieved by all these things. And we're going, yeah. man, but Jesus is here. Yeah. He's here. Like, so let's just point to him and go, have him, you know? And so I, I think that was more meant to us professional Christians yeah. than anyone else. I, I know that yeah. I yeah. I need to be reminded yeah. of that almost every week, right? Like, because there's yeah. always something small at the last minute that uh, isn't very small because it's going to throw off everything. And because there's a production side of it, but it's yeah. in that recognizing and understanding that God is still sovereign. He's yeah. still in control. Do, I do that every single Sunday going, oh, goodness, I got to go download somebody's sermon so I can preach it. You know, I got to memorize someone else's sermon. Oh, goodness, what was I thinking? I should have done this yesterday. Yeah, I, I don't know if anybody listening could actually believe that you memorized <laughs> an hour and 20 minutes of somebody Come else's on, message. Um, anyway, so, yeah, Jesus is doing something new. Yeah. And he uses this parable. So verse 36 starts. He says he told them this parable. No one... Uh, tears a piece out of, uh, or no one tears a piece out of a new garment. And I'm sorry, this is an NIV right now. Usually yeah. I change it. Uh, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And so he starts talking about clothing. Verse 37, it says, and no one pours into uh, new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. Um, no new wine must be poured, or, or no new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. So here's this example. Like I feel like I just read it in its entirety. But no, you did just read it in its entirety. I, I did just read it in its entirety. I don't but, feel like it. But Jesus. <laughs> I did, but Jesus is saying, I'm doing something new. Yeah. And then you went into an explanation of patching clothes, yeah. like old and new. And then also the explanation of wineskins, which I think a lot of people thought was very helpful. Is there more that you wanted to share? Maybe a brief like recap, but uh, yeah, also so I think more, let's talk about parables. Oh man, there's a really yeah. good book on Blomberg on interpreting the parables that I found, find really helpful. Uh, I don't know his first name. It's just Blomberg. I can see it on my shelf right now. Um, but in it, typically a parable, maybe not all of them, this isn't a one size fits all, but for the most part, parables are uh, someone represents the kingdom or something represents the kingdom. 
something someone represents God, someone represents us, right? And maybe there's two different sets of us, those who are in the kingdom, those who are out. So when you, when you hear these things, and so it's really, really, really nice of Luke to go, you see this in verse 36. He also told them a, a parable, right? Yeah. So, okay, 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 this yeah. isn't a true story. Let me figure out what he said. Okay, this is fun. You open it up, get your magnifying glass. Okay, I get this. Really pay attention. So you go, okay. When you see a parable, you go, okay, who? Who just asked the question, and who is he talking to? Okay, so you got these people that he's eating with and hanging out, and yeah. they are having a blast, by the way. They're having a blast. Like, they're having a, a the word literally is feast, and so... Some people are having a good time. These guys aren't having a good time. And they're asking the question. It's kind of putting Jesus on trial. And so he's addressing the question. Now, he has he has the, uh, lots of audience, right? So he's got the audience that's having a good time who just been invited into the kingdom, right? And you got the audience that is not having a good time who can't believe there's a party because you don't have parties uh, on the Sabbath or any other day, and especially another day when you're fasting, right? <laughs> You've had that experience. You've started the new diet. And lo and behold, you start the new diet. And within a couple of days, you get invited to someone's birthday party or right. Super Bowl party. And you're like, what do I do? <laughs> you eat it. You eat it every time. And then you're angry that you eat it. And you blame the people who invited you, right? So here Jesus is. These people are fasting. They're having a feast. And so he's going, let me just help you understand what's going on. And so he's going to describe two different types of things. And so you go, yeah. okay. You got old and new. Okay. Old, old um, garments and new garments. And so now we have this dilemma. Okay. Is Jesus is this like chronological snobbery that C.S. Lewis talks about that that idea that uh, people that are old are less progressive, less of all people than people that are new. So new people look at old people like from centuries past ago. They don't know what they're talking about. It's mm. like actually a lot of them really do. Yeah. Like in terms of the way they navigated stuff, they didn't use their GPS. They actually memorized phone numbers, right? And so I mean not thousands of years ago, but anyway. <laughs> so you got all these things, and so you got old and new. So you go, okay, he's talking about something. He's talking about old and new, and then you go, okay, okay, if he's talking about old and new. What the world could be talking about? Yeah. Well, that's why it's important to understand Jesus intersecting time. Yeah. So if you can imagine, there's this time that Jesus steps in the middle. So if there's a time, there is, if you think about Jesus in the present, there's looking backwards to the old, looking forwards into the new. Got it? So now you have this something that Jesus is saying, now is not the time to mourn or grieve because there is a new work that's happening beginning today. So how do you get in on the new? Well, what he's saying then is if, you, if you're getting in on the new, you don't just just put the new and patch it on top of the old. Yeah. And then he gives us the reason why. Here's the first one, right? Old stuff is already set in its ways. That's not a shot at old people or old minds or old dogs don't do new tricks. This is a literal parable going old clothing has already shrunk. Yeah. It's already had all the movement it's going to have and it is just where it is. So what's going to end up happening is... You're going to take something new and play. If you take something new and place it on something old, it's going to do a lot of damage to both things. So now we get this understanding of going, huh, things will get torn and there'll be real damage when you just try to overlay new on top of old. Yeah. That's helpful, Jesus. Okay. So we still got to figure out what's new and what's old, but we do understand that there is some danger in the collision between the two things, mm. right? Or the modification of the new just based on the old. Yeah. There's some danger. In fact, what we see now is it, both things will actually get ruined. Yeah. Okay. So now we have some understanding of Jesus trying to explain this new way of living, this new feast, this new experience, and acknowledging that if you just try to add this to the old, some damage is going to be done. Yeah. But not only damage is going to be done, a mess is going to be had, right? Yeah. And so uh, then he gives the example of the new wine, old wine skins. And, talk a little bit more about that i'm sure but you know the way you make wines you take new grape juice put it into a new wine skin the gases expand the new wine skin stretches this is a brand new goat brand new lamb brand new cow piece of leather it's nice and, and nice and stretchy right yeah. um and then and then and then uh and uh, then it can recede back to the right thing and you do that multiple times that the elasticity of the, the leather is going to eventually go out and he's going so you know this you know this you never put something that's going to expand and just something that can't handle the expansion, right? We know this even in terms of pipes, right? You don't, yeah. you don't, you have to make sure that water didn't just stay in an old pipe. Because what happens? It expands. That's why you have these flex pipes and all these right. different things. You just have these real experiences. When you take something that can't contain what's put in it over time, what's going to happen is you're going to have a, a mess. So Jesus is presenting some stuff and going, here's the reality. They're doing the right thing. We're having a party because I came to usher in a party. For all eternity, I came and brought my presence, and now I'm inviting them into partnership. These guys are all in on it, and you guys are sitting out going, no, that's not how you do it. You need to fast today. Maybe do it tomorrow. Let's just apply what you're doing now, Jesus, to what I've already done. Like, hey, you come and make my thing better. 
Yeah. Right? So you see this whole thing. And so what you see happen is there's just this collision between tradition, not that tradition's bad, tradition and standards and expectations and desires that we all have. And this new collision of what Jesus came in to usher and what we do know. And we don't understand all of it. We know that there is tension between those two things. And if not managed well, that tension will create damage yeah. and pain and a mess. And you don't have to look far in churches yeah. to see people with their damage, mm -hmm. their pain, and the mess. And almost all of it is this collision between this old way of doing things and Jesus's yeah. mission. Now, I'm not saying that there, there, there's something wrong in an old way of doing things. Like I'm not talking about tradition. So let me define those words real quick. Tradition versus traditional. This is, I think, Ergen Kainer, uh, back in my undergrad, he said this. He said, uh, tradition versus traditional. Tradition is celebrating the living faith of dead men. Okay? So we are, we still do things. We celebrate it because we understand we stand on the shoulders of saints for hundreds and thousands of years. Part of our tradition as Presbyterians is we're celebrating the living faith of John Knox, uh, a Presbyterian in Ireland, Scotland, that uh, worked with John Calvin, who understood that if you put all the all the responsibility and all the authority and all the power on one person and you know one gatekeeper, it can do major damage, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't do that. So tradition is celebrating the living faith of a dead man, dead man, or we celebrate the living faith of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of believers through New London Presbyterian Church. We celebrate mm -hmm. their living faith, though they are dead, right? Mm -hmm. Now, traditional in the definition is celebrating the dead faith of living men, the idea that we are just doing something because someone else liked it or it's their preference or that's what's best for them. That is not a living and active faith. That's a dead faith, but we're celebrating the dead faith of people who require it and demand it. Mm -hmm. no, I, as I say this, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't have any kind of like picture of that that I'm thinking about in our church. Just yeah, candidly, it's like, well, if that person can hear this. I think we do a really good job of navigating these things and honoring and celebrating tradition, celebrating the story of who God is. There, there's, there's precedent for this. Like even the Israelites had the 12 stones to remember all that God has done. Here I raise my Ebenezer, right? This idea that God has brought us through. There are great ways by which we present and celebrate tradition. By the way, communion is a tradition, right? We're celebrating the dead or the living faith of generations of people who have trusted God through life. So tradition in a, in a sense isn't bad. It's when we make the tradition more about our convenience and our preference and not about experiencing God's presence and being in his partnership. So when you see this, you see this real weird conundrum of going, look, let me just help you understand it. two things he's saying. First one is he's saying, when you try to collide these things or intersect these things, damage can happen and a mess can be had. Yeah. You ever see that? And then he even acknowledges our desire to not do that because of the way that we enjoy what always has been. Mm -hmm. So what he's pointing to is that the, yeah. we have this natural inclination to create something we like and stick to it. I'm that way. One of the big arguments in our house, uh, Julie, if you're watching, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> is about food. I've got about three things I like, meat and cheese and whatever, uh, and and. and Buffalo wings. That's it. That's it. Just give me those things. And if you want to feed me a vegetable, just green beans. Just green beans. Don't remember them. Just use butter. I'm from the South, right? And so that's it. Julie, on the other hand, loves new stuff. And so every okay. week she's like, hey, what should we make this week? And I'm just like, Ugh. right? Because I just like what I like and I don't like the things that I don't know about. Right? And so, okay. so for me, there's just an inclination just to go, this works. I'll stick to it. Right? Okay. No chances, no things. And so we see kind of this battle of Jesus going, you can't just take the new and place it on top of the old. Yeah. And you don't even want to place the new on top of the old because the reality is, and this is what he says it. Yeah. He says it this way. And no one after drinking old wineskin desires new. You're not going to go, I want something new. Because what old, what was old has satisfied you because you've built a life on that bringing you satisfaction. Yeah. And because satisfaction comes from comfort and security. So messy thing. Yeah. Just talked about the whole thing. Maybe we'll have to back up and talk about it more clearly. But we do know the parable is trying to show us the distinct difference between something old and something new yeah. and the war that's at play between the two. Yeah, and and I think that that's a really good point, that last part where he, Jesus is basically saying to the Pharisees, yeah. well, you don't want what is new, right? Like you're yeah. re rejecting what is new. That was the part that I got the most hung up on going, okay, I get all this. I can explain yeah. it. But that verse 39, I, yeah. I really wrestled through it. Going, hey, Lord, what are you saying here? Yeah. Because I don't like 
what does it mean to not want something new? Because we also have this bend to think new is flashy. Yeah. Right? And so it's so weird to go, okay, what does he mean by this? And it sure seems to be that some people are bent by change, right? Yeah. And, and by short attention spans. But that is not new. Yeah, right. It's old. What you like is new flashy things. That is your old wineskin. Right. It's not like, yeah, see, I love new. No, 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 You like change. Right. You like different. You like adjustments. That's not new. You like being, um, you like for all your senses to be enhanced all the time, right? That's not new. That, that's an old way of doing things. In fact, it's so old. You can chase throughout history. Look at Solomon. He goes, there's nothing new under the sun. And yet we keep going after these things. And so, when you think about new, this isn't a new as in, I, I need a new car because the old car, I can't, obviously I can't just put a new engine in an old car. Like this isn't the argument. This is, yeah. there's an old way of finding safety and security and joy and peace and hope and love. There's an old way to do it. And that has left us wanting. And now there's a new way that's being ushered yeah. in, but you don't just add me to the old way. Yeah. You don't add me to your old lifestyle and say, oh, but I'll worship Jesus on Sundays. Yeah. Right? So there, it's not about new in terms of us just desiring new things. Yeah. So I feel like my question becomes, and maybe this is jumping ahead because we, we talk about 2 Corinthians where the, you know, behold, your new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so I feel like the question becomes for believers is that how do we live into that newness? Because what we're seeing, at least in the old wineskins and new wineskins, old garment, new garment, is that we are not to be the old wineskins, that this is something new, that we live into that newness. Yeah. But oftentimes, I feel like I find myself reverting back to, well, the anger that I had before, or like, I guess that's my example right now, is that I find myself in this season, like more frustrated and angry. And I'm going, man, that's my old wineskin. That's yeah. the old garment. And I don't want to live in that. But I keep finding that I I don't know if the right word is revert back to that or I yeah. keep finding. So how do we as believers, how do we how do we walk through that? How do we live into that? Because I don't think anybody listening, because they've spent, you know, 45 minutes already listening. I don't think anybody's going, no, I don't want to do that. I'm just here for the, uh, to watch a watcher, yeah. drink your Mountain Dew. Like, right. It's not like it's that. Diet. So how do we live into creation. that? <laughs> check this body because it's aspartame. Um, <laughs> Yeah, great question, and it's really complicated, and that's why I love this circumstance because we find these brand new, are these brand new people experiencing Jesus, who never have before, yeah. and they are unwelcome, and right. people aren't kind to them. They're not kind people, so this is revolutionary, and it doesn't start with all of a sudden they get their junk together and start right. being nice. Right. None of these guys. You see, it was Zacchaeus later, probably because of what's happened to Levi. Just to be honest with you, but. You don't see these guys go, I'm going to give everything away. I want to like, there's no, like at this point you don't see the massive restitution. Maybe mm -hmm. there's going to be that day, but Levi just leaves it all and goes and spends time with Jesus. I don't yeah. know. His presence, his experience with Jesus became that which was most important. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love that's the, 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 the second Corinthians five. What I'd ask then is trying to figure out which creation you are or which covenant you're living in, which wine skin you are. Right. Yeah. I would say what controls you, mm -hmm. what controls you? Because here's what it says in first, second Corinthians five, 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Yeah. So when it says, how do we become, and when it says that we're a new creation, that part starts with for the love of Christ mm. controls us. So yeah. imagine that moment with Jesus. They got a lot of people who are just laughing and paying attention to him and going, hey, tell me about this. Would you, hey, how about, hey, I got a question. You know, like just literally just clinging to it, craving Jesus, not yeah. all the stuff around, not even the feast. It wasn't about the food when they were eating it, but it was about throwing a party and having all your friends Come yeah. and see Jesus. That was the goal. All the obstacles out of the way, your friends, you've got to see this guy. Why? Because Christ and the love of him controlled this Levi guy. Now, what controlled the other guys? Well, their religion and their way of life and their demands and their checklists, right? And so that's where it really begins is, okay, what controls us? And what I'd argue is if what controls you is Christ, that's not because you did that. Yeah. It's not because you pushed the button, you made the decision, and all of a sudden it it's right. because little by little, day by day, this cumulative effect of Christ's experience has been so important, which is why this week we'll cover another really important thing, not fasting. It's so interesting that we're in the middle of spiritual disciplines in the middle of the Christmas season, yeah. but it's on the Sabbath, yeah. right? Because the whole goal of the gospel is you and Jesus forever, yeah. which should begin now, which means we got to get comfortable with just sitting still with Jesus. Even yeah. if that feels uncomfortable, Jesus goes, you have me available. And so it says, for the love of Christ controls us. And so I think really when that old 
wineskin comes out of us, what's happened is is the love of something else has started to control us again. Mm. So the love of control, probably. The love of security, the love of comfort, the love of affirmation, the love of progress, the love of earning our salvation, the love of accolades, whatever it is. Yeah. There's something else. that's The love of that thing is starting to control us. Mm. The love of our traditions. It, that starts to control us. So when something comes out of us and our response is that, that that's the old wineskin going, you're about to bust. Mm. You can't put this new way of life into that carnage. Yeah. So that, that I think where it is, it has to do with, yeah. okay, what, what's controlling me right now? And what is it that I'm loving that's yeah. controlling me right now? I, and I think that's such a beautiful yeah. answer because I've, it, one of the things yeah. that you said, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit's work in, in the disciples and the believers in us, like the, that the Holy Spirit breathes life into man and, this is not a, you know, expository teaching, but it's experiential living. Yeah. Like talking about the oh, Holy yeah. Spirit. Like as you start to pursue Christ more, those other things just begin to fall away. Like yeah. the fruit of the Spirit uh, is, again, something that's talked about. Like, and fruit isn't, uh, fruit is produced as a tree receives everything that it needs. Yeah, to sunlight, fruit water. of the Spirit, not yes. of Josh. And so that's the same idea. So I, I feel like that is the... For me, that's the answer is that I, it's not about, okay, I got to stop pursuing that. It's about who I am pursuing. Yeah. And if it's not Jesus, then of course my actions are going to start to revert back to the old wineskin or the old garments because my pursuit isn't of Christ. Yeah. So you want to go, okay, uh, now that I'm a Christian, which which wineskin am I allowing yeah. the message of Christ come in? And it's yeah. really simple to go, well, are you torn apart? Is there a mess below you? Yeah. <laughs> well, if so, then what you've tried to do is you've tried to take this new love of Christ and place it in this old shell of Josh. Yeah. And so that's why it is. For the love of Christ controls us. So yeah. could you imagine that? Like, I, I'm having to imagine it. I mean, yeah. I think I experienced some, but could you imagine that getting there over Christmas? Hmm. Like, then all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if your siblings don't show up or yeah. you don't get the gift you want or... And I'm, or Things don't go as you plan for Christmas or the New Year. So, if that's what controls and compels us, that we have this love of Christ in us, and it says this literally says, "Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. The old has yeah. passed away. Behold, the new one's come." All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us, reconciled us. That means made us right before Him, reconciled us. So He's making our container, our wineskin, right before Him. Uh, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it's really some simple things that go, okay, what compels me? What controls me? Well, it depends on how I'm responding. And am I responding in love? Meaning I really want other people to experience the same presence and you know partnership that I get to experience with Christ. Yeah. So the problem is, is this is not something you can grade on the outside. Because you can pretend really well. I can pretend yeah, really well. Right, right. You can be a Pharisee who does all this well and just go, no, no, there's right. something different here. And the way you can look is look at your own life is there a lot of tearing and hurt and a lot of mess? Yeah. And so what you've done is you've tried to place one thing on top of the other instead of just going, nope, 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 love of Christ controls me. It's all his. I'm going to just allow this new life to come. But that's hard because we really do like the world that we've created. Yeah. And the way we know we like the world we've created is how angry we get when that world gets, um, gets messed up. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like we spent a little bit of time um, talking about Second Corinthians 5, I think it was 16 through 18. Um, one died for all, all have died, lived for Jesus, not yeah. n uh, not about the old, but we're a new creation. Um, you had also talked about Psalms 45, 10, yeah. and 11. Yeah. And now you've mentioned those a few times. All but the time, yeah. Specifically in this one, what drew you back to those verses? Yeah, it's that piece of, you know, so you have this whole combination of prayers and singing over a thousand years in the book of Psalms. And so there's just this, there's this insight into the human psyche, right? There's yeah. just that in the, in the Psalms. And you definitely get it. You know, in David's prayers, like you get a real understanding of the complexity of how we yeah. feel and what we do. So that's all of us. So you go, okay, if God's called us to the new creation and called us this new way of life to be captivated by him, him be captivated by us, by that kind of relationship where it's new and new being patched together. It's new wineskins, new wine. Well, what is required for that to happen mm -hmm. right and so that's where jesus references the bridegroom and the bride going we see this consummation where things are perfect one day and so you go, okay we know that that's the picture well how do we get in on that picture what is it what is our response if it's all god's work if he does all the work how do we get in on god doing that work 
right? Yeah. So that seems to be a really important part. Now that we can do the work, but how do we get in on doing the work? That seems to be really yeah. important. So then I just am always mindful of this Psalm 45, 10 and 11, because it just starts almost with this acknowledgement that you should shut up. <laughs> like it says, listen, no daughter, but it's like, hey, shut up. Just <laughs> shh, right? Like just, just shut up for a second. Like that yeah. kind of thing, you know? Like, oh no, just quit talking, quit doing it. Like just, and so it's like, just listen, listen, right? So when you see this, like imploring to the people. It's like, oh, that's kind of what I want for us. I just want us to listen for a second. I just want to listen, right? And so it says, hear, oh daughter, and consider and incline your ear. It's going, there is something really profound about what could happen for us to be with Jesus and have the love of Christ control us. There's yeah. something that can happen there. We know that that's what the, but the reckoning is going to be one day. So how do we get there? Listen, daughter, consider and give your ear, incline your ear. And then it says this. So now that we've heard what we should do, We've heard that we should listen. What is the command for us? Yeah. And that's why this next one's really, really important. Forget your people in your father's house. That's really important to go. The old doesn't get us there. Our understanding yeah. doesn't get us there. Like there is something about surrendering our knowledge and our understanding and our control and going, we got to forget all the things the flesh have taught us. Yeah. We have to put all that side and you'll see this over and over in, in the New Testament. So the reason I'm so drawn to that is you got this big crescendo the king will be enthralled, captivated right. by your beauty, and you will honor him as your Lord. There's this beautiful part that happens. Like, he'll reconcile you, and you'll be in the ministry of reconciliation. Same thing. You have to go, well, how do you get there? And the only way to get there is to pause and listen. Hmm. And then forget the things that you used to know. Forget hmm. what used to define your value, define your security and comfort. And so there's something about forgetting the old and surrendering to the new mm. that you see throughout the scriptures. So that was kind of the thing of going, hey, there's yeah. a, here's the beautiful part, but that only happens. Your part, my part is not get all right, force fit it, yeah. you know, fast and pray and other things. It literally is just throwing away the, the old ways by which we feel value, esteem, mm. comfort, security. Yeah, that's good. Uh, just looking at the time, I think we've got a few more moments or minutes left. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add or get to that we didn't get to cover either over the weekend or maybe that we didn't get to discuss today just in the closing moments? Yeah, so I think it goes back to um, the end of that passage where Jesus says one more thing to to all them, right? So we, we looked at Psalm 45. Okay, we forget these things. We forget our people, our father's house. We, we don't allow those things to, to write our story and we turn our eyes and attention back to those who offer us affection and love and support in Jesus, right? And then you see what happens there. That love of Christ controls us and now we become a new creation and that new creation, we're now partnering in the ministry of reconciliation and all of us want that. Like you even said, hey, yeah. you've been in this thing for 45 minutes. All two of you. Really, really proud of you uh, for doing that. There's more. There's, there's four there's live. At least four. Or at least here, I don't even know what's going on. Live. I don't know what's going four. on Facebook, but no, I'm not. Maybe, 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 people, maybe people my mom's on Facebook. People so watch later too. So, so, but anyway, all of you that kind of leaned in this far, the reality is we do want this. Yeah. I think we want new creation, new wineskins. Yeah. We want that, and so we just have to acknowledge the biggest obstacle to that. And Jesus just says it: No one after drinking old wine desires new. Like the reason yeah. this is so hard for us is it's hard for us to fathom. A life without the comforts we've built. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't have money in the bank. I'm not saying you shouldn't save for a rainy day. I'm just saying there's a lot of people with rainy days today. Yeah. And we can't even imagine what it looked like to just relinquish control of that yeah. because it's all we've ever known. And so, what Jesus is saying is, like, there's something so good you want to taste. Literally, he says, taste and see that Lord's, Lord is good. There's something that he wants you to taste and cherish. But you're going to have to choose to open your mouth, right? You have to choose to go, yes, I. I'll receive that. You'll never know how good it tastes because you're so caught up in what you've always known and what you've always desired. And so the big hangup here is, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Like, no heart can imagine what God has in store for those who love him. And it's so much better than the old wine. Yeah. But we never get to taste it because we never are willing to actually make the sacrifice to experience it. So it means, it means you go, I got to stop containing all this old wine and the old wine skin and I need to create room for the new wine thing that's why i love what it says and joy to the world right like let every heart prepare him room yeah because i don't know how that works and then go somehow you got to figure out how do you put down your comfort put down your you know identity put down you know your awkwardness and start participating in the ministry of reconciliation like 
part of tasting the new wine is removing obstacles so that people can see Jesus. That means one of the simplest steps might be walking across the street with some cookies and inviting your neighbor to go to the Christmas Eve service mm. to see the story of Jesus. And that's not about trying to grow our church. Honestly, I don't care about that. I really don't. When I do care about what I do feel responsible for, it's helping us live into this new creation with the new wine and the new wineskin. So there is going to be this requirement that we surrender the things that we have put our hope and comfort in that's not Jesus and start tasting these new things. And what I've learned is I am willing to try new things if you'll do it with me. Yeah. Right? I'll eat it if you eat it. Like some of the craziest stories I have are going, I'll do it if you do it. Right? Like I'll jump if you jump. Really? One, two, three. You know, like there's just something about the new wineskins collectively. Right? And so i just say there's two pieces here. One, how, we got to put down the old wineskins. But two, the only way I think you're going to do that and sustain it is if you find some people who are willing to go through that with you. And I'd go, if you don't have those people, let us know. Yeah. Either invite them into the journey the same way this Levi invited these his tax collectors in. And he's like, I'm going to leave everything. I want to invite them all to experience this new wine too. Or yeah. if you're going, I just don't have that, then would you just self-identify? Go, I just yeah. need, I need a group of people, right? You can email me right now, Josh, I see LCPM in a church. Leave no, we want to help you find these people so that yeah. you and them, all of us can kind of walk away from the old wineskin and go, there's a, there's a better life for all of us. Yeah. So that requires some real courage. And the last thing I'll say, I say it often is, it just takes like, we talk about a faith of a mustard seed. Really, really good, and I always wonder what that meant. Move mountains. I think it means you pick up a shovel personally and you start digging, right? That that's what faith of mustard seed means. But I think there, all you really need also is the courage of a mustard seed, right? Mm -hmm. Faith is an action. All you need is the courage of mustard seed, right? That take a lot of courage. It doesn't take a lot of courage to jump out of the plane. I tell you this all the time, right? It needs an, like a tiny bit of courage, and all of a sudden, once you take the irreversible step, it's just too late. Yeah. So it may just mean you push the doorbell, right? Or you hit send yeah. on the email. Right? Are you dial your parents' number and reach out to them? Whatever that is, I just would go. There is a new life to be experienced, and it's so much better than the old wine. Yeah. But you just got to pour it out. You just yeah. got to pour the water down the old wine, down the sink, down the drain, and that's just really hard for us. So yeah. you can do it. We can help. So let's figure out how to do that together. That's yeah. it. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. So I want to say thank you so much for joining us. If you found that we kept looking here, we're used to this. Yeah. Oh my gosh, angle. I was just staring right so, here. So that's, I keep trying to remind yeah. myself. I don't it's, go it's easier for me because I'm looking here. here. And so I just glanced there. But uh, thank you I'm so fun. much for, yeah. for joining us. Um, we'll try and get these camera issues worked out and something funny happening with that one. Yeah. But really hope that you were challenged and encouraged by this and that this is something that you can continue to grow from. As always, if you have questions, please email us overtime at clcfamily.church. You can text us. The church number is 610-869-2140 um, or just reach out to us any way that you, you yeah. want to. So thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you are blessed and encouraged and we hope that you have a great week. Don't forget to RSVP for any indoor services for Christmas Eve. Yeah, be safe, be well.